Dread Podcast Network presents... Live from WCOK Studios in Lesby Gay Falls, it's the 6 o'clock news. Welcome back to the WCOK Evening News. I am Steve Cox. We begin tonight with some shocking news. Famed serial killer Burt Spencer, a.k.a. the Bushwhacker Killer, has been captured. Here to bring us the full report is our correspondent on the street, Dick Bentley. Thanks, Steve. We are here live outside the famed Suka Deke headquarters where earlier tonight the Bushwhacker Killer was captured. It's been reported that an elaborate trap was set by the fraternity members involving what I am being told is chapstick. More details are being released by police, but at this time, I think I can speak for everyone, especially hair enthusiasts, as we all breathe a collective sigh of relief that this killer is now behind bars. Now, back to you, Steve. Thanks for that report, Dick. In other news, famed podcaster and internet personality Maddie Zaddy still is being access denied to Ireland and remains in exile as he awaits more information. In sports, the sports teams played and balls were thrown. Over to you, Stormy Davies, for the weather. Fall weather is in full effect over here. Ghostly gusts are blue. Wait, you know? Stormy, I have to cut you off. We are getting some late breaking news. It's episode 62. Journalism is terrifying. I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. I'm Marjorie Green, and I approve this message to save America, stop socialism, and stop China. Stay the fire, we honor thee from life to desert. Doubters, the doomsters, the gloomsters, they are going to get it wrong. Where are you going to go? Where are you going to run? Where are you going to hide? Nowhere. Because there's no one like you left. What do we want? Justice! When do we want it? Let's go! What are you waiting for, huh? What are you waiting for? I want you to know that the movement we started is only just beginning. Sometimes that is better. D.D. Megadoodoo, I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Delhi Cat Essen. Can you demonstrate for us what it's like to brush our teeth's pet just a little bit? Certainly. It's going to be areas of drist and mizzle, uh, drist and, what am I saying here? Mist and drizzle. I literally combined both. Here's some other great town names. Latitz. Oh, it's Lititz. Linnets. <laughs> <laughs> it's confirming the ground is now good to say. Oh, you've been joined by a beautiful lady. There's a mine, actually, Derek. I just kept hearing it. I'm ducking and everything, dying in the house. I'm, I got scared. I dropped my hot pocket. Welcome back, folks, to Friday the 13th Horror Podcast. My name is Maddie. And I'm Andrew. And this is our 62nd episode of the podcast that is all about horror. Horror in real life and horror in the movies and all from an LGBT perspective. It's going to be a fun episode. We are chatting about journalism and how terrifying it can be, both for journalists and for the people that are consuming journalism. It's a very weird world, and we're going to kind of talk all about it. Um, So, Andrew, uh, how are you? What's going on? good uh everything's going good over here it's a nice fall day the the leaves are starting to turn it's oh, a nice, nice 
It's a nice change. I, I, I always hate August. It's always just like the doldrums. I, you know, I, I work in an office setting and I, I have to wear a business attire. Yeah. And so walking to and from work in August weather is just the worst. That is true. <laughs> so. That is true. Now, I will posit to you that, that when you live in Europe now, August is not as bad. It's a little cooler over here. Um, and speaking of living in Europe, I have good news for you. It is this. I am going back to Ireland in just a couple of days. My work visa has finally been approved, so that's really good news over Woo! on my side. Very, very excited to get home to Ireland. It's going to be good. Although I've had a really lovely time in England uh, for about the past month where I've been. Well, speaking of positive, let's talk about negative shit. <laughs> oh, I, it's, it's our favorite kind of shit to talk about. Um, so why don't um, we go ahead and start with our certified terrifying corner. We really just got a couple of things. Well, a few things um, in two categories. Uh, the first one that we'll talk about is some true crime stuff. Now, if you've been following the news in the past couple of weeks, you may have heard about uh, Brian Laundrie, and at least I think that's how you pronounce his last name, and Gabby Petito, but probably also wrong there, but who knows. Um, these are two young people who are in a relationship. They're engaged. I think they're like 23, 24, if I remember. Um, they are, you know, they're sort of like an Instagram couple. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're like uh, travel bloggers. Yeah, yeah. Which God, the 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 phrase travel blog just literally it it, it scares me more than The Exorcist. Um, but they 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 converted a van like a Dodge Sprinter kind of thing. You know what I mean? And now they've been driving from Florida all the way out west, and they ended up in Utah. They got in a big fight in Utah, such a big fight in the van that the cops had to come and like split them apart, basically. And then, magically, Brian returned back home to Florida, but Gabby didn't. Brian, no one knows where he is. He's in Florida, but apparently no one knows where he is now, as, as of, like, this morning today on Saturday the 18th. Yeah. Um, no one knows where he is, and Gabby has gone missing. So everyone is freaking out about this case because the dude won't say anything. Yeah, he his, won't. People won't participate with police. Yeah, and his lawyers are saying that he's not going to say anything until later until later because they said that anything will be used against him if he does say anything so this case is um it's wild because i mean first of all we don't we don't know what's even happened like this person could very well be alive she she might just be walking around somewhere we have no idea um but it's isn't it just crazy that this is going on right now it's I mean, I think the craziest part of it is is it's like we're watching one of these Netflix documentaries in real time. Oh, like yes. Because it's all in this new age of like 20 somethings all documenting everything on social media, on Truly. Instagram, on TikTok, on all these things. It, we're we're watching and we have we have footage up until about you know, I think the 25th is when the yeah. last footage was like actually captured. Uh, and we don't know what happened at all. And, it's so yeah, right, strange. Right. And of course, you know, that footage, that Instagram post was just super positive. Hashtag van life. You know, right. it, it, you know, beyond look, hopefully she's safe and hopefully nothing bad happened. I just want to put that out there. Yeah. Hopefully it's but, just a misunderstanding. But I, I really, truly do hope so. And it does seem like there might be some mental health issues at play here. But all of that being said, this is a great time to talk about social media for just a moment. And it is this. You do not have to go on social media and pretend like everything is okay all the time. You really don't have to do that. Especially if you're a couple, you don't have to do that. Right. Like, I, I don't know what else to say. It drives me insane. 
you and I have many friends um, that sometimes pretend that things are totally fine when they're mm-hmm. not. Like, yeah. don't you don't have to do that. I can think of one in particular right now. I bet we're thinking of the same person. Yeah. Um, all, all of that. All of that being said, there's another murder that I want to tell you about. It's the Murdaw murders in South Carolina. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with this one. Oh, this is this is wild too, and this is all going on at the same time as the, as the other one. So there is this family of lawyers in in rural South Carolina. They're named the Murdaws, or it might be the Murdochs. I'm not entirely sure how you pronounce it, but regardless, um, they're like sort of like a, a a really famous family in this small part of South Carolina. The, the grandpa was, was the district attorney for a while. Then the dad was a district attorney for a while. Then the next one was a district attorney for a while. So it's just like this long legal legacy in this really small part of South Carolina um, where they've held a lot of power because of that legacy. So it was like a few years back. First, this dude, like his, his, uh, his wife and his kid get murdered in his house. Then the... Um, the uh the uh what do you call them not a butler but if it's a woman like the housekeeper yeah the housekeeper gets murdered in, in the house and then last week the dude is out like he's like he's he stopped on the side of the road he had a flat tire he's changing his tire he says that somebody pulled up pulled out a gun shot him it missed him it like he was shooting at his head it like grazed his ear apparently so somebody tried to kill that dude right <laughs> so this crazy fucking story so when you see it all unravel what actually happened is that that last dude who was like the dad of the family he was just fired from the law firm that his family started for basically embezzling money and then on top of it all it just keeps it keeps unraveling and unraveling the son that got killed he actually was driving a boat drunk and killed some girl oh, the God. mom did the mom did something this person did something and then it just came out this week that he was planning his own murder so that his other son could get the ten million dollars in insurance money. Jesus, I mean, it's just like it's a, it's a, it's a. In the words of Pee Wee Herman, it's a sweater that keeps knitting and knitting and knitting. Anyways, check it out. It's these are both two really fascinating true crime stories. Like like you said, Andrew, happening right now. Yeah, it was worth the breath to talk about those. It's, uh, it's the fine. South oh, is sorry, crazy, <laughs> girl. Girl, and where did where did Brian and Gabby come from? Florida, Florida, <laughs> bitch. And not only that, they came, where did they begin their lives in Jersey? In Jeez. Jersey, my friend. Like, what the fuck? Anyways, next story and our final one is COVID madness. We won't spend a lot of time on this, but there is a video that you should watch or or you should avoid. I don't know, but there were some tourists in from Texas in New York City. They go to Carmine's, a very famous restaurant in, in New York, where a lot of people go there. The nice hostess, who was young, told them that they had to have a vaccine card. They didn't like that, so they just started to mercilessly beat her up at the host stand. Jeez. The whole thing is filmed. They are choking her. Fucking, She had to go to the hospital. She got punched in the face like 10 times. She's got black eyes. She got stitches. She got this. She got that. All because... They didn't want to wear a mask, and they didn't have a vaccine. Can you believe that shit? Yeah, this is this is something I've been reflecting on, you know, a lot lately. You know, we just went through the 20th anniversary of 9-11, and, you know, we talk about how 9-11, you know, brought— and, you know, I, take this for what it is, but this is what the sentiment that I'm hearing from a lot of yeah. people, um, that 9-11 brought the country together again. Like, everyone, like, was... 
I don't know if you were uh, where you were at 9 11. I don't, I don't have that same sentiment, but um, yeah. <laughs> that's fine. Um, but I find it fascinating that um, we would just went through the 20th anniversary of 9 11, where we're, we're celebrating, you know, America and really trying to, you know, come together as one. And we still have people not wanting to comply with uh, COVID protocols, even though all it's trying to do is keep people safe. And it's just mind boggling to me that we can look at one thing, we can look at one tragedy and have, um, you know, rose colored glasses about it. But we look at another tragedy that we're literally living through right now and we can't get it together. We have been offered solutions and we just can't come together and it's just so frustrating <laughs> you know i i think it's funny that you mentioned 9 11 because there the, in the the past couple of weeks with the 20th anniversary there's been a lot of talk about the the uh sort of like pseudo documentary called loose change that came out way back in the day after 9 11 it was it was like the first the first sort of like viral documentary video on youtube and it was all about how 9 11 like was probably a hoax and like this couldn't have happened because of this and this and this and this. Yeah. And ton, tons of people. I mean, I, I remember watching it and I remember being like, oh, wow, maybe that is right. Like maybe there wasn't a plane that hit the Pentagon, blah, 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 because I was really young. Right. Um, but it's interesting that you brought that up because if you think about 9 11 and then you think about loose change and how that was really the start, the very first thing on YouTube that really sparked conspiracy theories just running rampant and then run it all the way to now. To COVID and to January 6th and to everything else, it's fucked up. There yeah. is a thread that you can follow. It's very, very fucked. And that is the certified terrifying corner of fucked up shit for the second <laughs> half of September. Congratulations, everyone. We're still alive. Now, let's go into the episode where we are talking about journalism. Um, so we've got some stuff to share with you, uh, as usual, some good stories, some good stats, blah, 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 blah. And Andrew, let's start with something um, that I found from the International Federation of Journalists. Ooh, how um, official. <laughs> I know, right? They put out a report uh, every year. It's about uh, journalists in danger, basically. Uh, that, so the, the 2020 report is the one that, that I had a look at. And it gives you some pretty startling things to think about. Um, journalists in the world in 2020, 65 were murdered. So I don't mean journalists that just like died because they like fell off a cliff or something. I mean, like these, they were actually like murdered in some way. Right. right? So 65 in 2020, that was up by 17 over 2019, the year before, of course. Uh, there are 229 journalists imprisoned right now by various governments around the world. Since 1990, 2,680 journalists have been killed which is a lot. It's a fucking lot. Yeah. Um, the ranking per country, uh, Mexico is at the top of the list. Uh, for, uh, this is like the, the fourth time in five years. They had 14 killed in Mexico. Ten were killed in Afghanistan, nine in Pakistan, eight in India, four in the Philippines, four in Syria, and Nigeria and Yemen recorded three each. There were also two killings in Iraq and Somalia, and finally Bangladesh, Cameroon, Honduras, our old vacation spot, Paraguay, Russia, and Sweden. 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 recorded <laughs> one killing. Yeah, isn't that crazy? So just to sort of set the tone, and I, I, think, I think it's important because, like, you know, our, our, as everyone knows, uh, or if you're new to the podcast, our, our titles for the episodes are always blah, blah, blah is terrifying or blah, blah, blah are terrifying, whatever. We just want to be clear. We're not saying that journalists are terrifying with this one. No, not um, at all. Not at all. And I don't think anyone is getting that. But just, just to make it really clear, 
we're talking about the practice of journalism and just sort of the state of the world that surrounds it right now. And Andrew, what do we even mean by journalism? So yeah, journalism as defined is uh, is the production and distribution of reports on current events based on facts and supported with proof or evidence. The word journalism applies to the occupation as well as collaborative media who gather and publish information based on facts. That's a very important part, facts, and supported with proof or evidence. Um, so uh, this is really important. And as we kind of go into our stories, we have a, a variety of stories. Um, it, it's really, it's really scary to be a journalist nowadays. Um, oh yeah. Because it depends on what kind of dr- journalism is so subjective these days. I remember when I was in college, I went to a liberal arts college where we did offer journalism in our communications department. I'm a communications, uh, graduate, um, but I did not, I, I thought about going into journalism at one point, but what I discovered as uh, starting to study journalism is that I could not qualify as a journalist because I have very staunch opinions on a lot of these things that disqualify me as a journalist. Um, because journalism, what we tend to forget in the age of Fox News and MSNBC, depending on which way you, you know, you lean is that you journalism in its true form is just reporting what is going on it's not biased it's not um one-sided it's not supposed to sway you in any way it's just supposed to report the facts unfortunately in the 24-hour news cycle that we have now um it is more biased and that's what's created a lot of um i don't know the divisiveness that that we kind of see today so it creates pain yeah but um, speaking of 9-11, um, I do want to talk about one journalist that um, had, had some horif- horrifying things happen to him in, in the wake of 9-11. Yeah. Um, most people will remember this story. Um, I, I know I did. When we talked about journalism as terrifying, this story came right to the forefront of my brain. Sure, sure. Um, this is the story of Daniel Pearl. Um, if you don't remember Daniel Pearl, uh, he was a journalist um, for I remember the Wall Street Journal at the time. Um, but he had been in journalism for quite a while. Uh, that's what he made his living out of. Um, basically, so Daniel Pearl, he became more involved later in his in his career in international affairs. He was most notable for investigating uh, the ethnic wars in the Balkans, where he discovered that charges of an alleged genocide committed in Kosovo were unsubstantiated. So he basically debunked that. Um, he also explored American missile attacks um, on a support on a supposed military factory in Cardum. Is that how I say that? Yeah, um, which he proved to have been a pharmaceutical factory. So he had quite a career going into what happened to him um, on January twenty third of two thousand two. So keep that in mind. That's about what. Um, not even a year after 9-11. So like... It's about six six months after, Six months, yeah. Um, On his way to what he thought was an interview with a sheik uh, at the village restaurant in downtown Karachi. um, Karachi. 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 See, I always try to do the other pronunciation and I always get it wrong. Well, I mean, no no one really wants to say crotch. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, no, it's just I did not. I didn't do good on a uh, language in my my life. So that's reflecting. You're doing just. You're doing just fine, sweetie. You're doing. I'm, I'm that meme right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so anyway, Pearl was actually kidnapped on his way to this interview um, near the Metropole Hotel at 7 p.m. by a militant group calling itself the National Movement for the Restoration of Pakistani Sovereignty. Uh, the group claimed Pearl was a spy. And using his Hotmail, gosh, you remember when we used Hotmail? I um, do remember that. Using his Hotmail email address, he sent the United States a range of demands, including a freeing of all Pakistani terror detainees and the release of all halted U.S. shipments of F-16 fighter jets to the Pakistani government. So what we what we fail to remember about this time in, in U.S. history is that we were sending weapons and uh, planes and jets and all this stuff over to the Pakistani government. Um, um, but it was halted due to 9-11. Um, so the message that it was sent was, we give you one more day. If America will not meet our demands, we will kill Daniel. Then this cycle will continue and no American journalist could enter Pakistan. Uh, photos of Pearl handcuffed with a gun to his at his head holding up a newspaper were attached, um, kind of just saying, like, this is the date. He's still alive. Um, the group did not respond to public pleas for release by, of the journalist by his editor and by his wife, Marianne, who actually Marianne went on to do a lot with this yeah. story. Um, the United States intelligence forces tried to track down the kidnappers, but were, uh, were not successful. Uh, nine days later, actually, um, Pearl was beheaded. Um, on May 16th, his head and decomposed body were found. Uh, cut into 10 pieces and buried along with his identifying jacket in a shallow grave um, at Gadap, which is about 30 miles um, north of Karachi. Uh, when police found Pearl's remains three months after his murder, Abdul Sitar Ethi, a Pakistani philanthropist, collected all the body parts and took them to the morgue uh, to basically ensure that they could come back to um, Los Angeles where his family was. Um, you know, this is a crazy story and it just does show the, um, threat, uh, that, uh, not only 9-11 happened, but continued to plague not only the United States, but also, you know, these other countries and other people for many years to come. Sure, um, sure. and you know, the crazy thing about this is I thought this was all, you know, done. I, I thought that this was sealed, signed, sealed, delivered. I, I thought, news. you know, we had a movie about this. It had Angelina Jolie in it. Um, we, right, right. Oh, I, I forgot about that movie actually. Yeah. We, the, that. we thought this yeah. was done. No, actually up until March of 2021, this was still in court. <laughs> I didn't. I did, I did not know that. Yeah. Wow. So a lot. I, I basically read through the report, and tons of people have been accused and/or brought in for questioning and/or suspected and/or accused. But really, it's, it's never going to happen. They can't. They, there's just no way of finding out who was actually responsible. You know, for this. Yeah. So a really sad story about Daniel. Um, he uh, was targeted mostly because he was Jewish. Um, that was a big yeah. part of why he was targeted. Um, and he was suspected of being a spy when all he was trying to do was give an inside report of what was going on in the wake of 9-11 to the American people, which is really, really sad. Wow. Yeah, it's very sad. Rest in peace, Daniel Pearl. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, no, it's fine. Uh, why don't you tell us about somebody somebody uh, a little bit funnier? Yeah, why don't we talk about a queen, a queen of journalism. 
This a K W E E N yes, girl. Yes. So this is Nellie Bly. Have you ever heard of Nellie Bly? I, I, I have heard of Nellie Bly, and I'm really glad that you chose this because I think I I like maybe when I was in elementary school, like a fifth grader or something. I might have had to do like a report about Nellie Bly. Oh, really? I have, I have that in my memory for some reason. I don't remember why. Um, but when you brought it up, I was like, "Oh, this is great. We can revisit this old, this old, uh, this old pearl." Yeah. So the way I came about this is, I really wanted to look up like who, because you know, we have like Geraldo Rivera, we have Connie Chung, we have Barbara Walters, we have all these people that have gone like deep dives into. But I was like, I want to Lisa Ling. Yeah, I want to know the the person that started all of this, and it's Nellie Bly. Uh, so eager to prove her chops as a legitimate journalist in the 19th century, when she had typically been delegated to writing about domestic issues and or the no wait what Andrew really quick is this in America? Uh, yes. I'm pretty sure. Okay, gotcha. I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm pre- I th- I think it is, but I honestly couldn't. Yes, remember. I like, I'm almost. I'm English. I'm 95 percent positive that it's America. Okay. Um. So she really was delegated to doing like more domestic issues, like sewing, caring for the home, on theater, musical, like that kind of stuff. And she really here's what here's what here's what the church is doing for the cook-off or something. Exactly. And she really wanted to prove herself as like a legitimate journalist. So. She decided, I am going to commit myself to an insane asylum. Oh, my God. God bless her. Oh, wow. So rumors at this time abounded of mistreatment, including ice baths, harsh labor, undernourishment, um, and uh, Nellie Bly, who also went by Elizabeth Cochran, uh, in case I kind of flip-flop between those two names, um, had been assigned to see if they were true. Um, But uh, but to get the real scoop, she had to go um, undercover and do what no journalist had done to that point before. Wow. And fake insanity in order to legitimately committed to undergo treatment. That's so crazy. Um, she actually pretended to be a Cuban immigrant. Uh, once committed, she marveled at the cruelty and fellow inmates were forced to endure. Beatings were rampant. Waterboarding was commonplace. She no- and then th- this is what she observed. She noticed that nearly all the inmates were immigrants, many of whom knew not a word of English and never had interpreters provided to them, meaning they literally would not know what the fuck was going on. Jesus Christ. That is, that's actually, that is terrifying. Truly. That's terrifying. Even, even back in the 19th century, we were still treating immigrants like shit. So great humanity is doing great um with uh she basically was in there for 10 days and she wrote a book or an expose excuse me called uh 10 days in a madhouse in 1887 so think about 1887 this woman did this um she spearheaded a new movement in journalism known as stunt journalism while exposing the horrors forced onto those who thought to be insane so she was a queen of stunt journalism before anybody else and spearheaded what we now know as kind of going quote unquote undercover that is so cool i love nelly that is i i thought that that was so cool that not only was it like a fun story but it was also a fucking woman that did it yeah like i you know i just i wonder like where she i I, now now i actually do want to like go read more about her because i wonder like where she really did get the idea like one day she woke up and she was like oh yeah that's what I'll yeah. do. Great idea. You, you know what I mean? Like, I wonder, like, 
did she like try it out before somewhere else? Like, did she kind of like sneak in here or sneak in there? Like, I would just love to know more. From what I read, she was mostly a desk journalist. So just was like kind of forced to like blend in and do the thing. And really, this is her claim to fame. I think she kind of not not fell out of the limelight, but kind of retreated back into I, I think that this was so big and so um probably traumatic for her i'd imagine yeah that's a word exactly traumatic it'd be awful is that she kind of um kind of went back in on herself so this is the big thing that she did but it it, just think about the impact of this one woman doing this one thing on what we now see as journalism today that's amazing because, you know, we see all the time now people infiltrating, you know, Nazi uh, groups oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, terrorist groups and doing all this thing and reporting out about it. It's not that they're it, and that's the crazy thing about being a journalist is that all you're trying to do is tell the story. Yeah, right. You're not you're not trying to stop it. You're not trying to do. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, it's just it's such a. A, a martyr type of mentality that you have to have to be a journalist mm. um, and, and, and be very um, aware yeah. that people are probably going to hate you yeah. in some way, oh, shape yeah. or form or celebrate you in some way, shape or form, depending on kind of w- who you're talking to. That's just so crazy to me that, that people would subject themselves to do this and I applaud them for doing oh, it. Yeah. It's just so, Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine giving up. You're basically giving up your whole life to, inform other people of what's going on in the world I, I think that that leads really well into uh, to, to my my next one here and our, our final one for this segment and it's it's a it's it's also one that, that you know like Daniel Pearl I think that people probably know this one um, you, you've at least heard of it if you haven't seen the movie or, or other things um, and it's a story about spotlight which is the column in Boston in, in the Boston Globe which is still there um, and and they're really courageous reporting on the Catholic Church have you seen spotlight? No, I meant to, and now you're just bringing it back oh, you to should. me, and now I will put it on yeah, my list. It's, I mean, I, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really well done. Yeah, I remember when it was up for all the awards, I meant to watch it, and it, I, I don't know about you, but like, I know that we went through like a year of not having a lot of programming and everything, but now we have like so much know, programming that it's like, whoa. I know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's like feeling dry and wet at the same time, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So, so if, to talk about Spotlight, I mean, to, just to give you the the scene of the crime here um the the catholic church in boston it might as well be the voice of god as far as most most bostonians at least catholic bostonians which are very very many trust me are concerned um and that was until the boston globe had the balls to face up to 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 the square facts as they started coming in and those facts in the early 2000s showed clearly that not only had there been widespread corruption in the archdiocese of boston with hundreds of children molested and raped by clergy members but that it had all been covered up and that those priests were just moved around to other parishes back and forth, dodging the law. Oh, it's so, it's so terrible and just completely kept all under the rug. Um, So a lot of you probably have seen the movie. The movie came out in 2015. It won the Oscar. Uh, It had Mark Ruffalo, Michael Keaton, Rachel McAdams, Leah Schreiber, John Slattery, Stanley Tucci. I mean, a really incredible cast. Look at that cast. Seriously. (laughs) the, the, The cast is just absolutely incredible. 
Um, and you know, uh, Rachel McAdams, she plays uh, Sasha Pfeiffer, and Sasha Pfeiffer is actually one of my favorite journalists, and she has that's, now that's such a funny name. I, I, Sasha I don't Pfeiffer. Mean to... Yeah, it sounds like a drag queen name. Sasha, it, it kind of does. Um, hi, Sasha. If you ever hear this, your name is now a drag queen name. Um, Sasha just took over also um, for Brooke Gladstone on one of my favorite podcasts in the world on the media. So actually, I heard her voice this last week, and I was like, oh, oh that's perfect cool. to talk about this for, for our episode. Um, so the, the reporting that they did in Spotlight around the Catholic Church, it did lead to the dismantling of many of the structures in the church in America that kept these disgusting and evil practices alive. And the legacy of Spotlight, it really does continue today. Um, some of you who are following stuff around the Catholic Church might know about Ted McCarrick, the formal, former cardinal, uh, pardon me, who's finally coming to justice. He's just in court, um, I think last week as his trial began, um, for the really awful, terrible things that he did. And one thing God, to isn't think- Isn't it so oh, crazy that it takes so long to get these people to court? It's insane. It's insane. And it's all about power. It's all about power. The power of the church is so strong, so incredibly strong. That it keeps I can feel it from, from the I can feel it from the nun convent that I now live yeah, in. Yeah, right. Totally. It's, <laughs> it's still there with you. And another thing to think about with this too is as I start talking more about this, is remember that the internet wasn't really like all that big then. You know what I mean? So like there yeah. wasn't a lot of like searching you could do or stories you could read or this or that or whatever. There wasn't a lot of social media then. It didn't really exist yet. And so the, the the reporting that they did was just completely, um, it had never been done before. And from a great article that I read from The Wire out of India, which is actually a pretty cool news source, um, the Globe Exposé paved the way for the accountability of a religious institution that had until now been almost untouchable. There had been other reports in other newspapers, including The Globe itself, but this series exposed the Catholic Church's pervasive cover-up rather than tackling individual cases. It led to legislation requiring priests to be added to the list of mandatory reporters, mandatory predators, you know, that kind of thing. Um, Finally. <laughs> who are legally obliged to report sex abuse if it comes to their knowledge. The Catholic Church in the U.S. today has a zero tolerance policy towards child sex abuse. Other states in the U.S. have followed up such cases more vigorously. It underscores uh, a universal truth emerging um, from, from this whole lesson. And Walter Robinson, who was on the Spotlight team, he, he laid it out pretty clearly. He just said, iconic institutions need as much scrutiny as the political. It's so important. We get yeah, lost. For sure. We get lost in just talking about politics all fucking day. We forget about this and this and this and this. And those are really important to look at. Um, Robinson also said what kept us going was our outrage. It kept us focused. Um, he said that uh, their motivation was an emotionally sustaining goal. He and his team were driven by the compulsion to get the story out there as they discovered that this was not just about a few cases. The church had covered up as many as 250 priests in the Boston area. Accused, Jesus. Right. Accused of child sex abuse. And just so that you know, that is 10% of the priests in Boston. 10%. Wow. A full tenth were child molesters and child rapists. That's absolutely fucking insane. So, so it almost is like it's a ring of like completely. people. Yeah, they, yeah. They, look, fuck it. Monsters like that, they know where to go. And, and they know that they can do it there, and they know that they will be protected if they just learn the language of, of religion. And if they learn to couch things and this and that and whatever, and then suddenly forgiveness is theirs. It just makes me sick. Um, the focus of Spotlight's reporting increasingly became not so much what the priests had done, 
but how and why the church allowed it to happen and engage in a systematic, expensive cover-up to protect its reputation. Victims were paid off and offending priests were sent on sick leave, including to a mansion, coincidentally in Walter Robinson's neighborhood, uh, or transferred from one parish to another. In particular, Sasha Pfeiffer, who I mentioned earlier, her method of talking to abusive priests and victims was what really added color to these stories, and that color needed to be there to have the huge public impact that it did. She never shied away from the horror that was in front of her. She talks about one priest, actually, who was in charge of the novitiate, and that's um, th- those are women that are that are becoming nuns. This motherfucker told them that he was God on earth, and then he, oh my God. he forced them to have sex with them. But because Sasha was so clever in how she asked her questions, and she was so open and welcoming to hearing the facts and hearing the story, she got this out of him. And listen to how terrifying this is. What I was trying... This, this is from the priest. What I was trying to show them is that Christ is human and you should love him as a human being, said Methan, 73, who was reached by phone at his Carver home. Don't think he's up there and he's spiritual and he's not human and physical. He's human. He's physical. That's what I was trying to point out to them. I felt that by having this little bit of intimacy with them, that this is what it would be like to be with Christ. Can you fucking believe that? And so then Methan, after he got caught in all the other bullshit, he wrote some essay to Cardinal Law, who was the cardinal of of the archdiocese then. Cardinal Law read the essay because it was all like, boo-hoo, woe is me kind of thing. I've done something terrible. And um, um, Cardinal Law wrote back to him saying that it was a beautiful, that the essay was a beautiful testament to the depth of your faith and the courage of your heart. You have touched me deeply, Bob. Can you believe that? Touched, yeah, he touched a lot of people deeply. Yeah, unfortunately. (laughs) And one really interesting thing, too, is that men really came out of the woodwork to tell their stories thanks to this reporting. Walter Robinson from, um, from Spotlight told about this one, and he said, It's hard for me to tell this. An 87 year old man from Millinocket, Maine, who was a great grandfather, called to tell me about how he had, I'm gonna start crying, how he had been abused at the age of 12. And that I was the first person he had ever told. It happened in 1926. And he called in January 2002 to tell me how it had just, uh, he had been troubled his whole life about it. I thought three quarters of a century of living with this. He was one of those who thought he was the only one. And the courage that these reporters, that they had, it has changed the way the church can have power over people. And it's given people like hope and given people like a, a an avenue to tell their own stories and that's journalism in action yeah i don't know about you but i think that sorry beyonce there's a new sasha fierce in town and it's sasha pfeiffer it's sasha so. pfeiffer bitch <laughs> yeah okay that was a great discussion about journalism fuck yeah did you so have, have you ever heard about the um like some of the so in doing some of our research, I kind of came across some of like the wildest things to ever happen on live TV. Oh my God. I can only imagine what you found here. So do you know about Christine Chubbuck? No. And surprisingly, because that last name is just so, uh, so wonderful. Um, so this is actually, it's actually a really sad story. You know, oh God. Par- oh, I okay. I didn't mean to make fun of her then. I'm sorry. No, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's par for the course here. We talk about sad shit, but, um, 
so she basically it, it, the reason that it's never really been i mean there's a there was a movie that came out a couple years ago about this i have not watched it to be honest um and i, I can look it up for people that want to know but um she actually um is the only person to my knowledge and and to this day um the only person to commit suicide on live tv oh my Oh my. In 1974, um, she was a, a journalist and she had her own kind of, um, uh, what, do you, what, what do you call that? Like a little spotlight, you know what I mean? Like where she sure. would come on and talk about things. And, you know, up until this point, the, her family had reported uh, a lot of, um, you know, suicidal tendencies and that she was depressed. And so it's, it's actually a really sad story. And thankfully this has kind of been locked away. You know, we, we still talk about the person, but thankfully the footage has been locked away and never been kind of like, uh, put out there in the ether, but yeah, it is one of that's the, good. W- it is one of the wildest things to happen on live TV. And, you know, knowing, you know, knowing our show, um, we don't cut a lot so no we don't a lot of what you're listening to is you know quote unquote kind of live we yeah. don't really we don't listen back a lot you know we only cut out maybe when we have like a coughing fit or like we mess up something sure sure um but for the most part we're here you know live with the with yeah, our yeah, listeners. yeah, yeah. Fo- folks terrifyingly enough sometimes we really do forget everything that we said and we just kind of hope it was all good so you sometimes know, that's, sometimes that's how <laughs> it works every right? time every time yeah but yeah, I think that that was great. I think that, um, you know, journalism, I, I applaud it as a career. It's a very brave stance to take. And, um, you know, I, I really do think that it's really important that we have journalists that are, you know, oh, telling, yeah. the, telling the truth and really coming at it from a non-biased uh, way. Um, unfortunately, like I said earlier, given the 24 hour news cycle, you know, we are getting a lot of biased opinions, you know, whether, whether you see those as good or bad, it's just, it's, it's, it's taking something that is so pure and, and kind of giving it an agenda. And it's, um, well, it's really, it's really sad sometimes. I'll, I'll tell you what, look, everyone knows that I moved and eventually I'll stop talking about it. But one thing with me moving out of the country is that I have largely stopped watching TV news. I don't watch. Good. I don't watch any of it now. Um, I just don't. I mean, number one, like the channels that I was used to. Like, I mean, when I used to be at home in Chicago, I would just put on CNN pretty much all day and just let it go in the background, kind of thing. You know, I don't. I, I don't really have CNN anymore. Not the way that I used to have it. And I don't really even want to watch it. And I don't every now and then I'll watch the BBC here and like when I'm back in Ireland I'll I'll turn on RTE because trust me, RTE is actually just good news. It's like about like it's about like horses and shit, I promise you. <laughs> um but like beyond that, like I just I don't do it. What I do do is I do still subscribe to the New York Times. Yeah. And I th- I think it's really important that that people, you know, listen, we're we're talking to podcast listeners, right? And what do podcast listeners who are really into certain podcasts do? They subscribe to Patreons or this or to whatever subscription that that a certain podcast might have. That's important because what are you doing? You're supporting independent people doing a thing. That's really yeah. neat. Yeah, yeah. But like maybe also if you're somebody who gives to Patreons and you're not subscribing to like like an actual like newspaper thing, or if not that, then like the New Yorker, and if not that, then like the Atlantic, or like something along those lines. Maybe you should think about it because, like, mm-hmm. look, the money comes into me and Andrew for this show, and like, yeah, we put it to work. We we 
you know, might need to buy a new piece of equipment or we rent movies or we do this or whatever. So it gets used. It's the same thing for journalists, dude. Like they got to get paid. And guess what? If you don't pay the good ones, you know who's going to get paid? All the bad, the bad ones. ones, baby. <laughs> so, like, if I mean, I, I'm really being serious here. If you if you don't subscribe to something, I really highly recommend forking over the like four or five bucks a month, even if it's just for like your local fucking paper. If you if you think you trust them, great, give them the money. I don't care who you pay, but pay somebody good. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. No, that's why I like. There are certain you know quote, and I'm putting this in big old quotes, quote unquote journalists out there that are just out there to make waves and make money. Oh yeah, and those are the people that I refuse to even give the time of day to. Yes. I refuse to give the energy to. I will not click on any link that mentions their name. Fuck it's just them. not worth my time. Fuck them. We're gonna end up with a fucking world of Alex Joneses if you don't fucking like go subscribe to a cool thing. So go fucking do it and all of that being said yeah that wraps up our horror in real life we're gonna be right back with everyone's favorite segment what you've been watching bitch let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat Welcome back, and now it's time for What You Been Watching, Bitch. What You Been Watching, you very nice lady. (laughs) This is the segment of the show where we talk literally about what we've been watching, whether it's good, bad, or in between. Uh, We will give you our opinions. (laughs) Bitch. You bitch. Bitch, 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 bitch. (laughs) So, so Maddie, why don't you start with what you've been watching? Yeah, sure. Guess what? I watched another English television show, Bitches, and it's called Naked Attraction. Look, a lot of you out there might already know about this, and I had heard of it, but let me tell you, this is the craziest fucking, like, game show type thing I've I've literally ever seen. It's like Naked and Afraid? I I don't know what that one is, but Naked naked Attraction, here's what happens. There is a person. The person is looking for someone to go on a date with. So they go into this, you know, like, studio thing, and there are five like pillars they're like pillars of light kind of thing like there's like an orange one a green one a blue one or whatever and in those pillars are naked people they're naked right so first they raise it up like a third so it goes in thirds right so it raises (laughs) up and you see from their waist down every i want to remind you that everyone is naked Right. So look, so so look, it's, it could be AC. It could be DC. It could be AC, DC, honey. It doesn't matter. It could be a couple. It could be that you have no idea what's going to pop up. Um, and like, you know, if somebody's straight, they, they give them, you know, what they're looking for. Somebody's gay. They they give them what they're looking for. It's not that kind of thing, but that's the first part. And then the person and the host go up to each of those people and talk about their genitalia. I mean, just flat out, just diving straight into it, no filter, just like, oh, yeah, that's a great dick. Oh, yeah. Oh, I like that pussy. Okay, yeah. Mm, oh, she's got a piercing. Oh, that's neat. Oh, that's a flabby pussy. Or, I mean, I'm not even, I'm not fucking kidding you right now, right? So That is so strange. <laughs> that's part one. Part two is the next third, right? So it raises up to, like, their neck. So then you're seeing, like, you know, you're seeing chests, you're seeing bellies, you're seeing everything. Sometimes they'll turn around, they'll show their butts, that kind of thing. And then finally, at the end, they raise up the end, and then you can see their face. There do you see? Do you see everything? You see everything. I'm not even fucking kidding you. Now those people are naked, but then also the the the, the person 
uh, that's coming for the date, they get naked at some point as well. Now, during the course of this, they're also getting rid of people so that by the end, when the faces like get, get revealed, there's only two of them left. So then the two of them come out. And then all three of these people are naked, except for the, the host. The host is the host is wearing clothing. And then the person decides which one they want to go on a date with. And that's the end of the game. <laughs> so I got to tell you, like, I mean, listen, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing, actually, living here. How you realize truly, I mean truly, what prudes Americans are. Yeah. Prudes. Prudes, prudes. It's like it's like America. It's like they are. St we are still pilgrims in America. I swear to God, because TV over here is so incredibly different, and this might be the most different that I have ever seen. So I will tell Naked you, Naked Attraction Channel Four. There you go. If you don't know what Naked and Afraid is, think that a live show that you watched. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But, but they're naked? naked. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I love that. So anyway, my first one is not Naked and Afraid. It is Superhost on Shudder. Uh, this was one of the new movies that premiered on Shudder, I think maybe two weeks ago at this point. Yeah, I think it was like two uh, weeks ago. It's, it's a bit, you know, speaking of our horror in real life, it's about two travel bloggers that go and uh, they basically rate Airbnbs. They go and like do little YouTube videos and like rate oh Airbnbs. God. Do these people um, get killed? Please say yes. I'm not going to tell because it's like part of the movie, but they basically go to this new um, Airbnb and they're trying to like figure But and the, the host shows up to like show them like where the towels are and, you know, all the things that the host does. But she's like super like, <laughs> you know, like very like crazy, that kind of a thing. Oh, God. She's a super host. And um, things go from there. Um, what I was happy to see is that our good friend Barbara Crampton shows up in this movie. Oh. Barbara, hi Barbara, we love you. Um, she plays kind of a uh, an, uh, another host that hosted them before that they gave a bad review to, and she's kind of like coming back to you know to them. Um, this I, movie I, was, fucking, I I love Barbara Crampton. I love that bitch. Me too. She's so good girl. Um, this movie is great. I mean, I, I kind of um, go back and forth on these Shutter releases, and I, you know, I haven't watched all of them, but they're kind of like I don't know. We we get movies they're hit like, or miss. Yeah, we get movies like this. We get movies like uh, Jacob's Wife and Boys from County Hell that are like actually pretty good. Yeah, and then there's like other ones that are just like plug, not like not great. Yeah, this one was great. I liked it a lot. Um, it had a good payoff at the end. Um, and I I'd say if if you're kind of on the fence with some of these Shutter releases, this is one of the ones you should check out. I'm really glad to hear that because I've been away from Shutter since I've been away from my Apple TV. Um, because oh I, I yeah. Just, I just don't like watching movies on my computer. I, I hate it. Do you know what yeah. I mean? So while I've been staying with my friends here in England, I haven't been able to watch Shudder at all for over a month. So looking forward to getting home on Monday and having Shudder again. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. Good choice, Andrew. Uh, my next one is one that you talked about the last time. It's Candyman. Woo! Um, I'm glad you got I to have... see it. I'm so glad I got to see it uh, because it finally came on demand. Um, where I'm staying in England right now, there's no like first run movie theater that's like easy to get to. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? Whatever. I'll either see it when I get back or I'll just rent it when it finally comes out. So I actually watched it this morning. I was like, you know what? I want to watch it before the episode, get it in. And I also just, I've been dying to see it, of course. Thank goodness they finally fucking did this. Oh, like, it's, it's for real. For real. And like also movie studios, fuck you. Fuck all of you. Like I, agree. I, I, I paid twenty bucks for that motherfucker this morning, and I would have paid it last a year, year ago. 
In fact, in fact, last year I was so depressed in the fucking pandemic, I would have paid forty dollars. I know. So fuck <laughs> you, because guess what? I also didn't give any more money to a movie theater. So fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. It's all I have to say. I'm so tired of that bullshit. Anyway, I am too. <laughs> Candyman. I enjoyed it. Um, you know, one of the things that I've been hearing about about people's sort of criticisms of it is like, well, it was interesting, but it sort of forgot to scare me. And I'm like, are we back to this old, you know, fucking Malloy? Like, dude, listen, everything is scary to different people. And yeah. I, I, I really don't like that sort of thing as like a, a criticism because that's that's you being weak in your criticism, motherfucker. Um, I thought it was a good film. I did think that there was like, there were parts of it where I was kind of like, wait, what? And like, it just didn't totally work in the plot. But the stuff that worked, worked really, really well. I'm not going to give literally anything away because I don't want to. Yeah. Because well, people haven't seen it yet still. I, I think that you're, you're, you are kind of having the same experience that I did. Where you're like, mm-hmm. I really liked what I really liked. And then there were certain parts that were just like, wait, what? <laughs> I, I totally agree with you. And like... The, the great thing about it is that those parts were less enough that it didn't make me hate it. Do you know what oh, I mean? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I walked away really... I didn't walk away, actually. just kept sitting on the couch. <laughs> but that being said, um, I really enjoyed it. And the, the ending, which I will not give away, the very ending, I really liked. And the only other thing that I'll say, once again, not to give anything away, but Andrew, the, bathroom, the, the school bathroom scene, yeah? Yeah. That was my favorite one. That's all I'm going to say. That was so well done. It, and See, that part was, I, tell, I, I, t- I thought it was terrifying. I really did. Can I tell you something? Go ahead. Did you hate that part? No, I just, I, I think it's a really well done scene. Yeah. I think it's made for the trailer. I don't think that it belongs in the storytelling I get what of the movie. I get what you're saying. You know what? I'm looking forward to like a couple months from now when we can more safely discuss this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once once people have seen it, because there are things that, yeah, we'll we'll hold it. Give us two months. We'll talk more about this. Anyways, Candyman, it's on demand now. Have fun. Go rent it. All right. My second one is The Other Two. Um, I don't know if you've seen this show or not. I haven't because I don't have HBO anymore. Oh, it's on Well, Can't. Can't get it this, here. This premiered a couple of years ago, actually on Comedy Central. Uh, the first what? season was on Comedy Central. And it's all about a um, brother-sister duo that their bro- their brother, so they have like a younger brother, is like a Justin okay. Bieber. It's like he's like super famous. Oh, wow. And they're like the other two. You know, like they're, they're the, literally the other two. And the one guy is a gay guy and the other girl is a straight woman. And um, their mom is played by Shannon. Um, oh, God, why am I blanking on this? Molly Shannon is played by Molly Shannon. Okay. And I'm telling you, this show is brilliant. It's so funny. And they now have a second season on HBO Max. It's much like a Search Party where they kind of... Oh. Uh, they pick and choose certain TV shows that they want to pluck and put on HBO Max and then kind of put it under that moniker. I see. Um, Got it. And this is great. If you are looking for positive gay content, watch this because it's about this gay guy that doesn't have it together and he doesn't know what to do. And he's working in New York City and his brother is famous, like a Justin Bieber famous, and he feels shitty about it. And him and his sister are just hilarious. And this whole cast is just so good. You have to watch the other two. It's so good. That's wonderful. I I love hearing about positive gay content that isn't just porn. So this is this is good to hear. Yeah. And it's not, you know, there are stereotypes in it, of course, because you need stereotypes for comedy. But 
like the overall arching is that this is a gay character that doesn't need to tell you that he's gay every episode. You know what I mean? I love that. Like, yeah, it just, sure. it, just watch it. You'll love it. Everyone go watch the other two on HBO Max. And by the way, everybody, in this episode, we tell you that we're gay every episode. So fuck <laughs> you. Um, so my next two that I have are actually about the same thing. So I'm just going to wrap them into one. Okay. Um, and the first one is from Netflix. It's called Turning Point 911. The second one is from Apple TV Plus. It's called 911 Inside the President's War Room. So, you know, the 20th anniversary of 911 just happened on 911. Um, and so, yeah, I wanted to watch a couple of things. Um, you know, 911. Uh, you know, everyone thinks about it in their own way. Uh, the way that I look at 9-11 is that it, you know, I, I was a sophomore in college when it happened. I think I think I was 19 years old. Um, or I, yeah, maybe 19, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I was still 18. I can't quite remember. Regardless, I was a very young person. This thing happened, and it changed my life forever. And it changed all of our lives. But especially at the age that I was at and all of my peers were at, this was something that completely changed. Like the it, we we went from being children to being adults that day, yeah. And it really colored everything that I've known for over half my life. And so I really do like have like a a, a, a fascination with nine eleven about what happened that day and about sort of just how things have, have become so terrible after that one day. Think about how many other people have died. How many millions of people have died because of that one day and because yeah. of what happened before it. It's just it's mind-boggling to me. Um, so these are these are two interesting takes on it. Um, the second one from Apple TV Plus is called Inside the President's War Room. So they um, they interview uh, George W. They interview uh, Cheney. They interview Condoleezza Rice. You know everyone that was in that administration. They're all in this. Um, it was interesting to hear from them now, twenty years later. It right. truly was, but. You're hearing from them. So, you know, talking about journalism, talking about facts, talking about this, talking about whatever. What are we hearing from them also? You know, total bias in the way that they approach that day and the things that they did and the things that they did after all of that. So Turning Point 9-11 on Netflix is a much more balanced look at what happened. Um, it's not just a one-time thing like the other one on Apple TV is. This is a series. So I actually haven't even finished it yet. Turning Point 9-11 goes really deep. I mean, it goes huh. back to like the 70s so that you can really see how it isn't it, it didn't just happen like overnight you know, one day. Yeah. yeah, here it is. There's a long history that made this thing happen. And then here's everything that happened after. So I'm looking forward to finishing it. I would recommend them both. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have much else to say about it. I, I, it's it is crazy to think about 20 years ago, how different our lives were and, and what they've become sense um and maybe even to think a little bit about what they would be like if it had never happened yeah i i, I think about that a lot um so yeah turning point 9-11 on netflix and 9-11 inside the president's war room on apple tv plus those are my last two cool um well, i'll go through my third one and then i'll move on to our patreon pick Ooh, sounds fun uh my third one is the much discussed online <laughs> i've seen so many things about this on 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 hbo max it is malignant the uh james wan new movie um I don't care what people say. I fucking loved this movie. It was so much fun. It was so wacky. It was so what I needed on a Friday night on a popcorn, yeah. like just watch a fun thing, which we can't seem to do anymore. I feel like 
<laughs> I feel like the internet has just become how much can you hate things? <laughs> I don't know if you have the same yeah. like feeling about it, but um, Malignant is all about this woman um, who uh, is in an abusive relationship and I don't want to give too much away, but basically she starts to see murders. It's much like, remember when we watched The Eyes of Laura Mars? Ugh, love that movie. So it's a lot like that, where she starts to see murders of people, but she can't sure. explain what's going on. She just tells the police, listen, I saw this. I can't explain it. I don't know what's going on. And it's just kind of goes down this crazy hole. Uh, this movie is almost two hours long. I thought it was like 30 minutes. Like it went wow. by so fast. Like it wow. was, um, we both, uh, both me and Michael, we were, I, I told this story on TFC. I, I did a little guest spot on that show, which was a lot lot of fun but um i i told them i was like i turned it on thinking like hey, michael i might not make it through this whole movie like we might have to like pause it and come back to it because i'm, I'm like super tired as friday night had a, after a full week of work um but we turned this on and i was like instantly awake i was like this is amazing <laughs> this is everything i want so um i've seen a lot of things about this i've seen a lot of people that say it's like the worst movie ever and a lot of people say it's the best movie ever so i guess watch it and c- confirm your own opinion i myself yeah. really enjoyed it I'm, you know, and I'm glad that you did. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the other thing too. Is that like, you know, look, I'm happy when people are happy. You yeah. Know? Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I've seen, I've seen so much from people on both sides of this. That yeah. It's like, if you hate this movie, you have no taste, and you're an asshole, and you're a terrorist. And then the other and way I, around. <laughs> and, and you hear it on the other side, and I'm like, actually, you know, like, the thing is too about that. And I actually tweeted this last week. I was like, you know what? Hearing that from all of you, you know what it makes me want to do? Not fucking see it. So, like, guess what? If you really love something, do what Andrew just did. Talk about how fun it was. Talk about how much you enjoyed it. Do you have to cut people down for not liking the same fucking dick that you do? Some people like this dick. Some people like that dick. And some people, guess what? They don't like dick at all. So, like, you know what? Just fuck off. You know what I mean? I I agree. I'll tell you. I, I, that alone, because I know what you're talking about. It was it was like Twitter storm was everywhere, and it was either about malignant or about the fucking Met Gala. Yeah, and I was like, I don't want to be in Twitter anymore. Like, I don't want to be here. <laughs> I don't want to like, be in this is, room anymore. Seriously, like, can you people find literally anything else to talk about? Um, so yeah, look, I'm glad you liked it. I haven't seen it yet. I will watch it eventually. But I'll tell you why I'm going to watch it is because of something that someone like Andrew talking about it, who's being nice. And not dicks out there saying that you're an idiot if you don't like it. Like, fuck you. Yeah. All right. My fam, we worked up. (laughs) Wait until we get into the movie reviews. (laughs) Right? There we go. My final one is finally an Alvin. I just want to apologize that I did not get to this sooner. Um, It's been a crazy time. But I finally got around to watching his Patreon pick. Um, Alvin chose Zombies of Mass Destruction. Uh, this you can watch for free on Tubi. So it's a it's a clean 90 minutes. You can watch it on Tubi. Um, it was it's right around 2010 is when this came out. And I'm I, sorry, did, did you just say 90 minutes long? Yeah. Oh, I'll watch anything that's 90 minutes long. <laughs> anything, literally. So this movie, I had I'd never heard of it. I it never came across my platforms. Um, so I was really happy to see that Alvin um, suggested this. And I watched it last night. 
and it was a lot of fun. I mean, this is a definitely an independent movie. Think of when we, um, you know, interviewed the guys from Death Drop Gorgeous, which you know, congrats, guys, they are finally on for rent on yeah, good for you guys on Amazon and all that stuff. So you know, almost a I forget when we even interviewed them a year and a half ago. Like yeah, and also I just want to point out the only reason why they are is because they came on Friday the Thirteenth. Understand me? You got that? All right, there we Um, go. But just like think of like you know that that kind of um a you know uh, a production you know what i mean like where it's probably a lot of people that know each other that are trying to get this thing made because they love it um and it was a lot of fun it was actually a really good um it takes place in 2003 so it was actually very topical because it was a lot about 9-11 and the aftermath of that weird and talking about terrorism and talking about um that you know there's a character who's one of our there's like three main characters essentially but one of our main character is i as iranian and or not uh, she's not iranian her father's iranian um she's actually american um but they keep bringing up iraq like they're like oh so it's so awful what's happening in iraq and everything and she has to constantly like you know inform them you know actually my family's from iran like can you stop like seriously and and then the other two main characters are a gay couple so that was really fun to see because i'd never seen like gay depiction in like a a zombie type movie and especially in 03 well the movie is actually it 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 takes place in 03 it was made in 2010 Oh, well, even, well, even that is 2010. Yeah. Like, so that's a, a stretch too. If you want a fun zombie movie, it's, it's actually the gore effects, just like in Death Drop Gorgeous are probably some of the best I've seen in a while. The gore is great. It's all practical. There's no CGI. So if you're into like that kind of a thing, um, zombies of mass destruction is probably good for you. Um, I had a ton of fun with it. So thank you so much, Alvin. I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. Tell you what, I'm going to watch that too. Yeah. So just uh, recapping what we watched, folks. From Andrew, we had Superhost on Shudder, the other two on HBO Max, Malignant on HBO Max, and our Patreon pick was Zombies of Mass Destruction, which you can find on Tubi. And from Maddie, we had Naked Attraction on Channel 4, uh, which you can probably find on YouTube. Most things from Channel 4 are on YouTube. I, I bet you probably can, yeah. yeah. Candyman, which is now on demand. Turning Point 9-11 from Netflix and 9-11 Inside the President's War Room from Apple TV+. Plus. Fantastic. Well, that wraps it up, folks. We're going to go now into our horror and movies section. So go get a drink or maybe get a, a big glass of blood and get ready for our first <laughs> film, Interview with the Vampire. Oh, what do you say we get started? So you want me to tell you the story of my life? I'll tell you my story. I'll tell you all of it. I'm flesh and blood, but not human. I haven't been human for 200 years. From the novel by Anne Rice. From Neil Jordan, the director of The Crying Game. I've come to answer your prayers. Life has no meaning anymore, does it? His name is Lestat. But what if I could give it back to you? Pluck out the pain and give you another life. One you could never imagine. I can see you lying on a bit of satin. He chose one man. He gave him infinite power. Eternal life. 
and a daughter who would be forever young. This is the only real evil left. And then he took the light of day. You're a vampire who never knew what life was until it ran out in a red gush over your lips. I can't stand this any longer. You made us what we are, didn't you? God kills indiscriminately. And so shall we. You like dying? You condemn me to hell! Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt, Stephen Ray, Antonio Banderas, Kirsten Dunst, and Christian Slater. Interview with the Vampire. Turn on that record button, because it's time to interview a vampire. Maddie, tell us all about our first movie in horror in the movies. Drink from me and live forever. In gloomy San Francisco, the nearly two-century-old vampire, Louis de Pont-du-Lac, recounts the unbelievable story of his external, uh, his eternal transformation, and external for that matter, and a life worse than death to investigate journalist, to investigative journalist Daniel Malloy. Spanning 200 years of cruel betrayals, extreme solitude, and unquenched thirst, Louis's grimly fascinating tale pivots around his perpetually regrettable decision to embrace the dictatorship of blood and, above all, his maker, the seductive blonde aristocrat of death, Lestat de Liancourt. Is Louis's mystical epic of bloodshed genuine? Is this, indeed, an interview with a vampire? <laughs> I, I gotta tell you, when I looked at all the different summaries for this one, this one was so dramatic. I was like, I, this is the one that we're doing. Uh, Interview with the Vampire. Much like this movie. <laughs> yeah, right. Interview with the Vampire was directed by none other than Neil Jordan, the astounding Neil Jordan, written by none other than Anne Rice, both the novel and the screenplay. Uh, produced by Geffen Pictures, distributed by Warner Brothers. Louis was played by Brad Pitt. Daniel Malloy, played by Christian Slater. Lestat was played by Tom Cruise. Claudia, by Kirsten Dunst. Yvette, oh, Tandy Newton, love you. Santiago, played by the amazing Stephen Ray. Armand, played by Antonio Banderas. You heard that right. It was released November 11th, 1994. I know that because I was in the theater that fucking night, bitch. It was rated R. It lasted 123 minutes, made right here in the good old USA, but also in a lot of other places. This thing was filmed fucking all over the place. San Francisco, London, New Orleans, uh, Paris, and then a bunch of different locations around Louisiana, mostly Louisiana, England, and France. $60 million budget brought in two... I thought, I thought it was all sets. Yeah. Brought in $224 million. Wow. It's a lot. It's crazy. So, you know, it was it was a powerhouse. I mean, you know, not only was the film a powerhouse, the books were a powerhouse too. When Anne Rice released these, that was like fucking people went nuts for this shit. I can remember listening to the books on tape with my mom in the car. 
Um, so really incredible stuff. Let's talk about it. Yeah, well, if you notice the title of the movie, it's Interview with the Vampire. The Vampire, the vampire Chronicles. Chronicles. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> there was supposed to be the Vampire Lestat that was supposed to be made. Uh, Queen of the Damned was made, as people probably know. Aaliyah started it, starred in it. Rest in peace, Aaliyah. Um, Lestat was not played by Tom Cruise in that one. I forget who was, who who he was played by. It's so strange because he even has like dark hair. Yeah, it's, it's very. I, I don't know. They made some. They made some poor decisions with Queen of the Damned. Um, but anyways, that is it. So Andrew, what did you think? So I will say, uh, Interview with the Vampire, which for I had to Google many times because I could not remember if it was Interview with the Vampire or Interview with a Vampire. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> um, I had not seen this movie since I was a teenager. Yeah. Um, so this was a welcome back to the Vampire Chronicles for me. Um, this movie, even though it is two hours, much like Malignant, it doesn't waste any time. Yeah. It gets right into it. Like we are thrown right into the thick of it with, um, Christian Slater and Brad Pitt, you know, kind of having their, I, I, I like this wraparound. I like this idea that he's telling the story yeah. of his life. I think that that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Um, I, I have not read Anne Rice. I tried to read, the uh vampire Lestat and I, I think it's just her style of writing is just not for me. Yeah. It's a little more um it's a little more um how do I want like romantic it's, it's than the, what I they're like to. they're like romance novels. Yeah. So it it was never really a thing for me and I always wanted her stories to be gayer. Yeah. So because because when I think of vampires, I think of like there's a chance there's gonna be gay shit. There's a chance. <laughs> like and she never really went down that route. There was always like the surface level, and much like yep. in this movie, there's a surface level of gay. Um so but watching it this time, I, I was really happy with it. I, I watched it last night and it went by so quick because there's never like a dull moment in this yeah. movie it just keeps clipping along like there's it, there's always something going on in louis's life what i will say is everyone has a fucking crush on louis we get it everyone wants to be with louis we get it louis is a bitch so it's really funny <laughs> it's really funny that you mentioned this because you know i've seen this movie many many times and and i really love it and i'm into it i haven't watched it in a while though and last night when I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, Louis is so annoying. Why yes, why no. did I why did I ever like Louis? Like why did I ever like him? Like actually, I am team fucking Lestat all the goddamn way. Me too. I am like, let's fucking go. Let's go eat some people. I wanna murder some people, murder the rich. Mur- yeah, and like enjoy yourself. You know what I mean? Like but it, it, look, I I think there's a lot to be said about when Lestat yells at Louis as he's running away in, in the in the quarter from, from the plague and he goes, you are what you are. Like, it's actually yeah. a wonderful expression. Like, that actually might be the gay thing that we're looking for in the movie. It's just that. Louis is the right. one who just can't deal with the fact that he likes to suck dick. That's it. You know what I mean? <laughs> While Lestat is like, I want to suck all the dick. In fact, you don't want to suck all this dick. I want to suck this dick for you. I'll, I will suck all the right. dick. That's it. It's just, it, for me, Louis is just, he's, when you really break it down, he's just kind of annoying because he is the widower of a, 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 a wife that died in childbirth yeah. and the 
child died also. So we're set up to think at the very beginning where he is like so bold about um, saying, you know, shoot me to the guy in the bar and that he's so in the doldrums that he just wants to die. So instead of wanting to die, what does he do? He takes eternal life. Yeah. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. <laughs> like, that's so, it's just, I know it's, it it really this time around i was like i don't understand you louis because every time that we try to give you something you th- you turn it away so even when he he basically every time so let's forget every time louis moves he decides to burn everything I know, down I know, with it i know it's a really poor choice cuz he had some really nice places <laughs> do you know what i mean and this is where my note comes along how do vampires make money you know that's a great question. It, it's something he seems to have a lot of it. Yeah, it's something that actually Stephen King kind of tackles. If you think about it in Doctor Sleep, do you know what I mean? Yeah, because I mean, yeah, while yeah. they're not vampires, I get it, but they're kind of like vampires. He talks about how like they've got the you know there's the one person that and he takes care of all the bills and blah blah blah, blah and there's investments and this and that and you know blah, blah, whatever. Like we never really learn that. We can assume perhaps that the money that Louis had from being a slave owner and a plantation holder. Like, maybe they somehow, like, made that work. I don't know. I guess. But he burned it down. So. Yeah, well, he burned down the house. But maybe he had, like, you know, maybe he had, like, fucking gold in the bank or some shit. Who the fuck knows? Um, I did think it was... Uh, what I will say about this movie, I think all of the acting is really strong. Um, you know, and, and for a lot of it, it could be taken very comical. Because some of the things that happen are just plain comical. Oh, totally. Um, but they play it so good that it comes across as devastating i I think of the two women that they um they court at kind of like towards the beginning when they first moved to new orleans and she her performance so shall we put out the light and then put out the light that scene yeah Yeah. and how she looks down and sees that she's bleeding from the boob because he bit her in the boob (laughs) is that you know her reaction and then her performance after that is so Good, it's incredible that I can't, I can't even like think of a movie where they do something like that. It, it's just so good. Um, I, I have questions about draining because it seems to me that they can either drain in 15 seconds or drain over the course of 20 minutes. Yeah, like, I don't understand. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, um, I, and did you notice that they have reflections in this? I movie? did. Yeah, I did. Um, I, I think that you're right about the acting too. I mean, like. If if you go back even before that, if you look at Tandy Newton's character who plays Yvette, oh yeah, um, you know, I mean, Tandy Newton is a fantastic actress in literally anything that she does. Um, she's just she's such a compelling person to watch. Um, she's incredible as Yvette in this; like, she's so good, and it's a very minor character well, it, too, without a doubt, like completely. I did notice this time around there's some weird slave things though. Um, oh yeah, th- things that Tandy says that I, I didn't really think about before. But when she says like, "Are you still our master at all?" I'm like, "Who? What the fuck? I, who the fuck wrote this?" You know what I mean? Oh, right. Anne Rice did, and then and then she's like, "Oh, she says something else too." Like the slaves are all scared of your friend, and I'm like, "Motherfucker, your slaves! Just kill him while you can." Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, I don't know. It, it, that, that I just never really noticed that before. But yeah, the acting's fantastic, and. I also want to point out that Tom Cruise does a fantastic job. And look, I, th- oh, yeah. I think a lot gets said about Tom Cruise. And look, he's kind of weird. But fucking, he is perfect for Lestat. I thought he was absolutely mm-hmm. perfect. And the way that he laughs at stuff, but the way that he also gets furiously angry really quickly, I thought it was just so incredibly well done. 
My favorite line of his is after um, uh, Louis has, he's burning down the plantation and he's like, he's like laying in the flames and um, Lestat, you know, bursts in and Louis says something very melodramatic as we he belong does. in hell. Yeah. And <laughs> Lestat is just like, shut up, Louis. And just like takes him. And, like, it's so good. I also like the one when he does put that, the, the bloody boob woman into the coffin and he says something like, it's your coffin, my love. Enjoy it. Most of us never get to know yeah. what it feels like. <laughs> it's just no, it it's is, so funny. It is really fun. It's fun to see uh, Tom Cruise in the 90s before all of the controversy, before all of the Scientology bullshit, yeah, before yeah. all of this, when he was just an actor. Because I do think he's a good actor, unfortunately. <laughs> you know, look... <laughs> Crazy shit happened between him and Katie Holmes and between him and Nicole Kidman. I, I'm always going to love Tom Cruise on screen. He he is he's so good. He's so fucking good. Um, Let's talk about somebody else that's really good in this fucking please movie. Please do. Kirsten Dunst. Oh, my God. Number one, she's so young in this. She's so young. I think this is her first role or her first big role. It, it was definitely her first big role, and she's incredible in it. She shows... Well, I mean, she shows us, you know, the Kirsten Dunst that we we all know. She she's played such a, a great span of things, and she has such emotional depth, and she has the ability to play just a, a maturity that you would never imagine could exist in that body. Um, yeah. And and and, and in that age of person, <clears throat> pardon me, it's really really incredible. Um, she's you see marvelous such a trans a transformation with her like you it, when she first is turned and she instantly gets a perm for some reason <laughs> that's all about um but um her transformation after they say that she's you know been a vampire for 30 years and the yeah. way that she adjusts even the way she walks uh -huh. and the way she moves and the way she emotes is just so different it's incredible You're like wow that is a 30 year old vampire <laughs> like, yeah just so so and well can done. you can you imagine being stuck in a because what she, she's probably like what 12 10 maybe that like that yeah. uh can you imagine being stuck in that body for the rest of your life no. never being able to experience sexuality never being able to experience anything of like adult pleasure right because you're stuck in this body it's just so devastating. And, and you know, and they, they say it later in the movie, but like you're never supposed to turn one so young. Yeah. And it, it really does show in her performance that um, she's devastated that she'll never be that woman with the big boobs. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. That, the, that she eventually hides in her dolls. Yeah, the, the scene, the scene that where she's just, you know, cutting her hair over and over again and she can't make anything change. It's 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 you know, it's it's heart rending. It really is my f my favorite part with her though is um the piano teacher scene oh my god it's so good um, just her face and how annoyed she is with the piano teacher as he like kind of slaps her hand with the when she plays the wrong note it's just so good and she's it made like, me laugh she's out like, loud now i'm going to kill you yes yeah and i actually like Going back to this movie, I kind of forgot how brutal it was. It I is. kind of al always thought of this movie as like a romance movie, but it is like brutal as a fuck. It is like, brutal. I one the one that really struck me is when they start to talk about how Claudia and Lestat are kind of like teaming up early on, and he's teaching her the ways of of being a vampire. And they talk about how they would finish off whole families, and they show a family not of only just like. Uh, a mother and a father and a kid, but a mother, a father, several children, and a baby. Yeah. 
and it's been to believe that they killed off that entire line of family. Yeah, I mean, it, Billy, you know, it's it's a it's a film that isn't afraid to show you what a monster is. Um, yeah, and you know, no matter what you think of of the word monster, it 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 shows you like, hey, yeah, they're pretty, but also, guess what? They eat people. Like that 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 is their function in this world. You are what you are. You're a killer, and they kill yeah. people, and they don't care about any of it because they're not human. They're not human. Yeah, I did like how. Early on, there was a there was a funny moment where they they say that Lestat really prefers like the the rich and uh-huh. he'll you know, and they go to that 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 plantation party and they they call the one that's like I don't know it, it's meant to believe that that's like a lover of the uh, the fop the the white the, the fop the gor- that's the exactly gorgeous what it is. young fop yeah <laughs> I did like that that was like oh the gays are fops oh yeah time. listen I would have I would have <laughs> went straight for that that little twink's blood you know that I would have um yeah I mean like look if if I was a vampire I would want to be like Lestat if we're being frank about this like number one look you're a vampire so get over it you got to kill people that's just how it is and I would do the same thing I would I would go and get like the the greediest worst people that are just totally filthy rich and I drink them I did think it was funny when they are they're seeing the influx of Europeans coming into um, New Orleans and um, they're commenting on like um, Americans versus Europeans yes. and Lestat is, says their democratic flavor doesn't suit my palate. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, it's interesting thinking about the casting because, um, you know, some things in our notes here. J- Johnny Depp was offered that role. Can you think about Gross. how much different this film would have been if it had been Johnny Depp instead of Tom Cruise? It would have been way much more of a caricature Ugh. than an actual character. Yeah, it, it would have been Pirates of the Caribbean, but Vampires of the Caribbean. Um, and then for Claudia, Christina Ricci, Dominique Swan, Julia Stiles, Aaron Moore, and Evan Rachel Wood, they all auditioned for the role. Like, I'd... You know what's funny is like out of all of those, I kind of could see a couple of them. In in that in that piece, I, I could definitely see it, but I'll tell you what: no one could have been as good as 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 Kirsten Dunst. She just she nailed that role. Yeah, she's really good. Um, I I, I do like the scene where um, you know Claudia finally decides to dispatch of Lestat, yeah. and they have this moment where he's playing piano, and he literally says get away from me. Your presence irritates me. And he has this, he has this line that I was just like, Oh, like, like knife to the chest where he says, like, she basically says like, I have a gift for you. And he goes, I I hope it's a beautiful woman with endowments that you shall never possess. And I was like, God, really going for the jugular here. Well, I mean, and then it, it is one of the things to think about. Like these are people who, well, these are, these are beings that are around each other. Every day. All the time, yeah. For centuries. Like, it's not like, you know, somebody's like overstaying a little bit. Like, I mean, it's, you can't get away. I mean, oh my God. Imagine that. Yeah. Um, I will say the effects in this movie are pretty fucking great for 1994. Oh, yes. uh, the effect of Lestat dying is real, or not, I guess he doesn't die, but you think he's dying yeah. at the time, is really good. All of the makeup effects are really good. The transformations from humans to vampires, how slight they are, uh-huh. but how, like, they're so good. The only one that I thought was like, oh, you dropped the boat. Or, the boat? Drop the That's boat okay. a little bit. You can drop um, the boat if you need to. 
um, was when um, Louis is back in New Orleans towards the end. He kind of loses some of his luster. Like, I yeah. don't know if that's if that's like what they wanted to do, but he doesn't look as vampiric like in the, you know, in the modern times. He's, if you just, will. he's just not as good of a vampire as Lestat is, because when Lestat comes back in and gets us a little bit of blood in him, the motherfucker's back in business. Back. He's back. Christian Slater. Um, can I just say how good Christian Slater looks in this movie? Oh, he, and, he, and he's also, he's good in it too. He's so good. And I love it. He takes out a cigarette. He's like, oh, it doesn't look like you're going to get cancer or anything, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I did think it was funny. When we first are introduced to the, what I like to call bitchy theater vampires, um, there is like a vampire dress code all of a sudden. Yeah, because right. <laughs> him uh so louis lestat and i can't remember the name of the one like very smug um theater owner vampire but they all have like a cape santiago uh, santiago okay santiago uh a vest a cane a top hat like they all have the yeah, same dress code it, 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 it's suddenly what we do in the shadows um and, yeah and, and and there it is and what's what i will say if you do ever want to read another Anne rice book um the vampire armand is is i think it, that that was like my favorite. Um, that oh, one, interesting. That one is pretty gay. It's pretty gay. Um, well, and that's, Armand that's what I was seems going for Armand seems pretty gay. If we're gonna be yeah, honest, yeah. I mean, Armand is. That's just the thing. And like you know, it's interesting about Anne Rice because what you got to know about Anne Rice too is that she's 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 always like toyed with Catholicism in her life, and, right? And she's become I forget what year she did this, but it wasn't all that long ago. She's become a very staunch Catholic all of a sudden. She has a gay son, Christopher Rice, who is also an author. Uh, the first thing that he wrote, I forget what it was called, but I remember when it came out, I was in college and I was working at home uh, over the summer and I went to Barnes and Noble and I like secretly b- bought it. It was called, oh, it was called A Density of Souls because it was like one of the, the first big gay novels that had like just come out. And I was huh. so excited to get it, and I devoured that book in like in like a night. Um, it, it, God, it, it's not very good. Also, it's it's sort of the same sort of like toying with gayness that that Anne Rice does pretty often, sure, um, but just nowhere near as well. Um, and he actually wrote more books than that too. I can't recall what they were what they were named. Um, but I, w- I will say that the vampire Armand does kind of get to where you want it to go if you're interested in that kind of thing. Yeah, I think my favorite part with Armand is um, where they're talking about, he finally reveals that he knows like who Louis's maker was, and it was Lestat, and he says, oh, you knew him? And he was like, yeah, I knew him well enough not to mourn his passing. And I was like, yeah. ooh, yeah. damn. But, but it's also, um, but I mean, then, it's, like, it's like, Louis, you you knew what you were getting your ass into. Like, what did you think? what did you think he was doing when he was sucking on your neck above the boat? And said, "Do you want more of this, or, or or do you want to stop it?" And then drops you in the water. Like, right? Did you think that's not what you were going to be doing? I know that's my, that's my biggest qualm of this movie is just yeah. Louis is such a weird character. He's uh, a bitch. Yeah, he is a bitch. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, there, so uh, we actually never covered Claudia's death. Um, so Claudia is seeked out by the, um, what I like to call the drama nerds of the vampire community. <laughs> and it comes on and, um, is killed by them by putting them in a light tunnel, which this is where I started to suspect, like, wait, are powers not individually distributed? Like who has power? Who doesn't? Because like the one, the mm. one guy, Santiago, he can like walk on walls and like, fly and like all this stuff but like 
does Claudia not have anything? Like, can she not do anything? Like, it was very confusing to me because she she's just a charming child. Well, and I feel so bad for that woman that's turned literally right know, before. Yeah. And I had yeah. forgotten that she doesn't really even get a chance to be a vampire because she's immediately taken to that, like, sun tunnel. Um, Louis, Madeleine is shy. And it, it's really sad when Claudia, you know, burns to death. Then Louis comes in and he sees their kind of, like, charred remains. And it's, it's a great effect when he goes out to touch it and it all kind of just dissolves into yep. nothing. Yeah. Um, there was one part at the end that I wanted to get your opinion on because I did not understand this. <laughs> So okay. he goes back to New Orleans because that's where he, Louis, um, he, where he finds home. Like, that's where he considers his home. And he goes to the movies, and we have this great scene where he sees, like, for, throughout the years, he sees all these movies with um, sun, you know, sunrises, like Nosferatu, Gone with the Wind, Superman. Yeah. It, it, and he walks out, and then he finds he finds Lestat. And Lestat has been living off of rats in, like, an old abandoned, um, I guess it's like a warehouse. I can't, it's like... Yeah. something um but he's not back to his full strength and he it, you know it's been decades so i don't really it must have been yeah. a very long process to like get back to to the, where he is now um but then there's a helicopter yeah i didn't understand the helicopter i know what it was meant to do it was meant to be like oh he's afraid of artificial he doesn't know about artificial light because he's such an old vampire that he was only used to like um, candlelight and like you know that kind right, of thing. Right, right, right. So he doesn't know what this is. But why is there a helicopter? I have no idea. It's so strange. Like I can't answer this question. I thought you. that it was going to be like maybe it was the cops saying like you need to get out of this building. It's going to be uh, destroyed or like. But they never. It just comes. They shine a light in the building and then it goes away. <laughs> what is this? Some, sometimes you just need a Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, I guess. You know what I mean. And that's and that's what it was. And then at the end, we get a great payoff with Christian Slater. Um, he wants to become a vampire. He asks Louis to turn him, but Louis has a strict no no vampire policy. <laughs> he won't turn anybody because he's a little bitch. And um, he basically says, do you like being food for the immortals? And yeah. the, you know, he scares Christian Slater off, and he keeps his promise not to kill him. And he, you know, kind of goes on his way. But Lestat knows that if this story comes out, then it's going to reveal all the vampires to the world. Yep. So he makes swift work of Christian Slater in his convertible. And even though he didn't know what a helicopter light is, he can drive now. Yeah, he sure and can. Takes, <laughs> takes over the wheel. And we're led to believe, and I have not read the book, so I don't I'm know going if there's to give an extension you the choice I never had. And, it, you know, it's meant to believe that he's going to turn Christian Slater into a vampire. But um, was there was do you know where Interview with a Vampire kind of like um, sits within the the Vampire Chronicles? It's 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 the first. Oh, it is. OK. Yeah, it's the so, first. Uh, so do we ever know what happens to that interviewer? I I honestly don't remember I, when I listened to this. I was I was very young. Like I listened to it like in 94. So I was however I was 12 years old. You know what I mean? So it's been a long time. I read The Vampire Armand when I was older, but even that's been a long time. So I, I honestly cannot recall. I might have to do like a, I don't want to read all the books, but I might have to do like a Wikipedia type thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, all right. Well, what are your uh, final thoughts on Interview with the Vampire? Final thoughts here. You know, I, th I think it's a little, probably a little bit rote by today's horror standards, but it remains one of my favorites. Um, like I said, I remember listening to it with, with my mom and being so excited to see it in the theater. 
And the queer coding of Louis and Lestat and Armand really spoke to me as a young queer kid. I said, for the two-hour runtime, this movie wastes no time, but somehow also seems rushed. Uh, Louis is kind of a hard character to get behind, but everything else around him is so interesting that it's a wonderful distraction. And what I mean by that rushed thing is so much happens in this movie that I could definitely see them doing a long-form TV series with this um, and really delving into the different times that Louis and Lestat were alive. That'd be amazing, actually. Yeah. So what was I your gave final... this. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. We were going the same no, no. direction. Um, so here at Friday the 13th, we judge on a seven stripe scale for the seven stripes of the gay rainbow. And I gave this one a five. I gave it a slightly higher at five and a half. Awesome. So that's Interview with the Vampire. Uh, we will take our coffin break and be ah, right ah, back ah, ah. <laughs> with Quarantine. In March 2008, the U.S. government issued an emergency order sealing off an apartment complex in Los Angeles, California. 48 hours later, a hazmat team was sent to investigate the quarantined building. Authorities have denied any knowledge of the incident. The residents were never heard from again. There were no explanations. There was no evidence. Until now. It's quarantine, but not the one that we've been in this whole time. This is a different one, and Andrew is going to tell us all about it. Contain the truth. A television reporter and her cameraman are trapped inside a building quarantined by the CDC after an outbreak of a mysterious virus which turns humans into bloodthirsty killers. Directed by John Eric Dowdy, written by the same guy and some other people, that's a lot of names. <laughs> Production company was Screen Gems, Vertigo, Film Max, and Andale. Distributed by Screen Gems, Angela is played by Jennifer Carpenter. Scott is played by Steve Harris. Jake is played by Jay Hernandez. George is played by Jonathan Sketch. Danny is played by Columbus Short. Yuri is played by Raid Serbenja. Rade Serbenja. Sure. Randy is played by Weirdly and I forgot Dennis O'Hare. Oh my God. I uh, forgot. I forgot it too. I was like, Oh my God. I forgot he's in this. And the thin infected man is played by none other than Doug Jones himself of Hocus Pocus. Fame. Uh, rated R coming in at 89 minutes. Our perfect time uh, made in the U S mostly in Los Angeles released on October 10th of 2008 with a budget of $12 million and it made 41 million. All right, Quarantine, uh, the remake of the Spanish movie Wreck. Uh, Maddie, what did you think of Quarantine? Uh, um, you know, it's it's complicated. You know, it, uh, it's a very fast-paced movie. Uh, uh, there, there's a lot that goes on. Um, th- this time around, because I've seen it before. I think I might have seen it a couple times before. Um, this time around watching it, do you know what it felt like to me? It felt like a video game. Huh. And it okay. felt it felt like a video game that I wasn't playing. So it's almost like I was watching a friend play a video game at their house. And you know like how when you do that, like you're watching them play the video game, eventually you're like, I'm kind of zoning out here. Do, do you know yeah. what I'm trying to say? Uh-huh. That's kind of how I felt with this. Um, because it's just, 
I don't know. Everyone knows I'm not a big fan of found footage, and look, I know this is not technically found footage. But no, like, it is. There, well, I mean, I guess it. I guess it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. It is. The problem that I have with found footage, and I've said this probably a thousand times before, is that the acting generally isn't great. And this is one where, like, the body stuff is great. The effects are actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosthetics, like, I mean, I think there, I've got something in here about, like, Doug Jones. It took him, like, two hours to get into that outfit or whatever. I mean, those are all really good. Like, the screaming is good, that this is good, that that is good. When it comes down to just fucking acting, it's people putting on a show. And I yeah. just, I just, I'm sorry, but for me, it turns me off. If you like it, that's cool. But for me, I'm just like, man. And look, I think Jennifer Carpenter is a really good actress. She's great in Dexter. I love The Exorcism of Emily Rhodes, one of my favorite horror films. There's a lot that I like about her. In this one, if I'm being honest, when it comes to just like to just her acting, she's a little weak. When she's physical, she is bang on because if there's anybody that can be a great physical actress in like today's acting world, it's fucking Jennifer Carpenter. She's incredible. But for this one, it just doesn't hit me in the right way. Um that being said, you know, I don't I don't hate it. I still had fun watching it. Um and it was interesting to think about watching a movie called Quarantine, like coming out of a quarantine. Um, but yeah, that's that's kind of where I am at on it right now. Yeah, I, I feel like the acting in this goes from um, it's it's two like crazy ends of the spectrum. There's actually some really great acting and then there's just some really bad acting. Um, and I think most of that really does come from our lead, um, Jennifer Carpenter, um, because towards the end when she's freaking out, like you really feel like she's freaking out, like she's doing it. And it's, and it's great there. Yeah. And it's really good. But she has a couple of line reads earlier in the movie where she, there's one in particular where she says like, tape everything, tape everything. And it just, it comes off so staged and so bad. That's it. It's so weird. Like, I don't know. Like, I think that she just was really, I think with her, because she's kind of more of of a performative actor, when she is given something to do and to react to, she's very good. But when she has to do actual, like, acting where she has to do line reads and, like, react off of people, maybe not her strongest suit, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I really agree with you on this, especially on the staged opinion, because the whole first part of it is totally staged. And you, what you're yeah. seeing is a bunch of actors who are playing the end. They're playing the end of the scene. They're, 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 they're thinking too far ahead about what the objective is and what they got to do. And I, I don't know for sure, but they were probably ad-libbing, I would say, for, for a I lot of probably, the first part. Yeah. I'll tell you what, this is a great reason why you shouldn't do that, truly. <laughs> unless, unless you've got people who are ridiculously good at it, and the only people that I can really think of are actors around Christopher Guest, then don't do it. Because yeah. it, 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 don't be lazy. Write a fucking screenplay. Write a screenplay. Write a screenplay. What should a screenplay have? Dialogue. And yeah. if you give people dialogue, it literally gives them the tools that they need to tell your story. Actors aren't storytellers. That's not what they are. A director is a storyteller. An actor is an actor. And that's it. So if you give them if you don't if you don't give them enough resources, if you don't give them enough plot points on the map, they're gonna get lost. Do you know yeah. what I mean? So that's that's how I feel about it. It's just I, I'm glad you said stage. That was the word that I was looking for. 
Yeah, and it, you know, there's actually a lot of really good acting in this movie. It's just it, like I said, it runs the spectrum of like I being agree. really good to being really bad, because you know we have people in the apartment building like Dennis O'Hare, like um, like the uh, mom with her um, child, and and I did not realize that was Joey King. And I don't know if you know who Joey King is, but she's been in a ton of stuff these days. She was just most famously in that um, Hulu show with a. Uh, Patricia Arquette, sure. uh, where they did the Munchausen by proxy, like uh, yeah, yeah, and she was really good in that. And she's, I, I was like, whoa, she is super young in this. Um, but it is, it is so, you know, right when you see that that woman won't put down her child, that that child is going to turn into a zombie and get yeah. by her. Like, oh, for fucking um, sure, you know it. So for some of the parts of the movie, I, th- this is kind of a, and I, I wrote in our notes, I don't know what to grade this yet. Cause I wanted to have a discussion about it first because I have like very peaking opinions on this. Like, I think yeah. that actually the plot's pretty good. Some of the acting's good. There's some good scares. I'm particularly thinking when Fletch falls from the ceiling, uh, yeah, sure. very early on in the movie where you're like, Oh shit, I did not remember that happening. Um, and where he walks on his broken leg, which is super gross. Yeah, and like, yeah. it, it, it's very cringy. And how sexy Jay Hernandez is. Um, I have differing opinions, but that's love fine. him, <laughs> love him. But then also too, uh, you know, I've never seen Wreck. I, I don't know if you have. I have, yeah. You, oh, you have. Yeah. So I, I know that the the filmmakers for Wreck do not like quarantine. How do how do they compare? So they're very similar in the um, how the, how it's set up. So it's very similar to like she's a reporter, like blah 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 blah. Uh, the difference in this, because in this we discover that it's um, rabies, essentially, uh, a new form of rabies, however you want to take that. In the other version, in Wreck, it's more religious-based. And, oh. and if, you, if you've watched more, you know, Mexican or Latin American or Spanish horror movies, they do, because they are a widely Catholic country, a lot of their horrors do come out of religion. Um, and like what happens when you kind of step outside of religion and what the consequences are for that. And so that's the big difference is that that's more related into the supernatural, whereas the American remake of quarantine is more rooted in scientific, if that makes Hmm. any sense. That's interesting. It, very similar though, like very similar in style and, and and everything, even up until the ending, which is almost exactly the same. I have not seen the sequels of To Wreck, which I know there are three sequels oh my God, to Wreck. Three sequels. Um, I haven't seen those. I have seen Quarantine Two, which is very different because it's How's not. That? It, it's not found footage at all. It's a it's a regular movie. Okay. Um, it's not bad. It's it's kind of just more of the same, except it takes place on a plane, which is kind of interesting. Too many motherfucking uh, snakes on this motherfucking <laughs> yeah. plane. That's what I would imagine happens. Um, I, I with this movie, I, I did like the setup. I think it's really nice that we get kind of this like fifteen minutes to like really get to know the characters inside of yeah. the uh, the firehouse. And I did like some of the dialogue here, where they're like. Um, <laughs> where they talk about the pole and the pole hole and yeah, the fabulous know, poles. Yeah. And like, I think that's really all funny. I did think of the, the bit where it comes back when it, things go terrifying a little bit later, but 
where they forget that they're mic'd, and so she turns up their mics and overhears them kind of talking dirty about her. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck her by tomorrow morning or something like that. But later on, that comes back to know where she turns up his mic again when he's on the phone with the CDC, and she discovers that I forget what they call it, but it's some sort of um, jingo or. lingo that is saying like we're being locked down because of a viral or bacteria or like something of that nature um i did in this watch around i was like how in the fuck do they know to lock that down so tight so quick they do explain it later where the dog is the main catalyst for it went to the vet and then they discovered that the vet goes back to this building and but it it is very convenient that they're able to lock it down so tight so quick i'm just oh for sure i mean it, it is interesting to think about you know zombies and a quarantine in the age of covid and the age of quarantines um and thinking about you know who if we were to call anybody zombies now who who would the zombies be you know what would that look like um i don't know it's just something i've been thinking about yeah and i i thought like Knowing what we know now about self-isolating and social distancing and all this stuff, these people do exactly the opposite, and they all gather, and it drove me insane. I was like, "Very bad idea." Yeah, I was like, "I'm sorry, but if this is going on in my apartment building, I'm staying in my apartment. You can do whatever you want. Like, I'm not leaving. I I am the Dennis O'Hare character. Where I'm like, no, I'm just Dennis O'Hare had it right. He's like, I'm going back to my apartment. What am I doing down here? And yeah. I was like, no, you can't. I'm like, let the motherfucker go. Yeah. And he eventually does, but then he gets attacked by the dog in the elevator, which is so stupid. Let my people go. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a good movie. I don't, I don't want everything that I said earlier to make it sound like this is stupid or bad. I just, I wish that they had made some different choices. That's all. Yeah. No, and that's where I always kind of, uh, with this movie, get a, you know... Uh, a hard-on. Well, no, it's just, it's 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 well done, it's well paced, it's a good shot movie. There are several parts I distinctly think of when um, the African woman gets turned into a zombie and they throw her over the balcony oh, and it, God, like, sh- yeah. it shows her like hit the balcony and like splat on the ground i was like yes. wow that some of the effects are just so good really intense but the character choices in this movie are just so dumb i i agree with you I totally like, agree with you like they 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 have a meeting when they discover that the CDC is going to be coming in and they're going to be evaluating everyone. And they know that the, you know, the vet has said to them, I think it's rabies. There's something going on. Look at their mouths, look at their eyes, blah, 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 blah. All this stuff. What do the characters decide? Let's have a meeting around the bodies of these people. Yeah. That's a really bad idea. Get away from the bodies. Seal them off in the fabric store which i thought that was kind of funny that there's a fabric store in the <laughs> I know, apartment building. Totally, right? but seal them off and all everyone go to your separate apartments and wait it out yeah like why are we all together this is so dumb we could we could have had a much different film or actually no film at all if they had just done that if you really think about it yeah i thought it was funny um the opera the opera singer and his protege which is <laughs> Yeah, I, it never gets a payoff because they're only roommates. Um, of course, I think it was funny that they had a uh, bunny ears TV because I was harking back to like, oh, this is before digital conversion, like before we yes. were all like had to go off of uh, antennas. 
Oh, good Lord. There's just so many parts in the movie where they don't decide to shut the door behind them, or they don't lock the door, or they don't do this, or they don't do that. And it's just, sure. it gets annoying at some point, because you're like, this is a good, well-made movie. Why are you dumbing it down with stupid, like, decisions? It makes me so angry. Well, and I think that's kind of what I mean about, like, the video game thing. It's like... Look, plenty of video games out there are absolutely, they, they look incredible, they're amazing, there's interesting physics and blah, 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 but like, nothing's perfect in the game, yeah. you know what I mean? Well, and, and so, the- and, and there are so many variables that are that are up for play based on whatever button you push at whatever particular moment, and that's kind of what this is like a little bit. Like, it's just, it's a little bit like, like look, once again, it's good, and it has a forward thrust, and you know, there we go, woo, yay. But also, like, it is all over the fucking place, too. It's it's all over the place with the stuff that you just talked about as well. Yeah, and th- there's one in particular that I have in my notes here is right after the little girl bites her mom on the face, <laughs> mind you, um, she runs Most away. Most delicious part. And she runs away, and they all go looking for her, and they find her, and she's clearly already, you know, bitten the mom. She's clearly looks fucking crazy. And the cop is like, are you all right, little girl? Are you okay? And then he gets killed. I'm like, you yes, know she's yeah. not okay. Like, stop. <laughs> like, exactly. And like, also like, kill her. Like, uh, look, look. Uh, at a certain point, guess what? They're zombies. Yeah. You just gotta kill them. I you felt that. Kill I them, felt man. that way with the first woman. I was like, can you just fucking shoot her already? Like, Seriously. I mean, like, what the fuck, dude? Just go for it. It was funny. There, we were about three quarters of the way through this movie, and I was like, man, these people are just fucked. And then he literally Jay Hernandez in the next scene goes, we are fucked. <laughs> Yep, you know I'll it. What, I just, I just, Jay Hernandez, he's just so cute. God bless him. Cute little <laughs> face. And those nice arms. God, he's got nice arms, doesn't he? Jeez, oh, Pete's. Yeah, we'll talk about somebody else's arms in the hottie of the episode section. Delicious. Well, what else do we have to talk about with quarantine? Anything else you got for this one? Um, I, I did think it was weird that we don't really get an established timeline for the virus. Like some people, No, you don't. <laughs> some people turn immediately, and some people have been infected for weeks, it seems. It, it, yeah. it, it's very strange. So there's not any way of knowing like how people are going to come across. I don't know. It's This movie's kind of just all over the place. I think you're right. I think what That's you said. It is. It's exactly right. It's just all over the place. And I mean, like, bless it. It's fun. It's interesting to watch. But, like, I mean, it's hard to take this movie seriously. That's what I mean. Well, and then at the end, when we get up into the top apartment, which, I'm sorry, what apartment building allows a zoo lab in like yeah I, I, that, that makes no sense like when he was moving in was he moving in all these uh crates and uh cages yeah. and and rats and all this stuff and nobody it's, was it's like, like mm. yeah it's like it's like motherfucker just came back from safari or some right. shit you know what i mean i'm like what the fuck is this and i don't know if you remember this but literally in the trailer of the movie we get the last scene of the movie yeah where she gets yeah. dragged away I do you remember that when yeah. i'm like which is what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Why Why would you do that? Um, and the other thing that I have in my notes is just in all capital letters, weapons. Why is nobody yes. getting weapons? Yes. Oh my God, yes. <laughs> because there's only, there's literally, uh, Jay Hernandez has a sledgehammer, which they have used to like bust down doors, which he kind of uses a couple of times. But up until well, that- Well, thankfully, his arms are big enough to use that <laughs> sledgehammer. You know what I mean? But I was just like- can you do anything? Can you protect yourself in any way? I know. Like, I know. It just—it just doesn't seem realistic. And and overall, I I think that this is a very um, fast-paced, 
interesting movie, but when I start to think about it too much, it really falls apart. Yeah, me too. So with that in mind, what's a takeaway that you have from this one? So my main takeaway, uh, the collective acting in this movie is, like I said, is actually pretty good, um, ranging to excellent in some points. Uh, However, the writing and the character choices are just so dumb, and it's really hard to root for these people. I said that the film, by virtue of the plot's necessity, is erratic, and it kind of works but it's a lot. And like we've already said over and over again, it's all over the place. And I also said that it plays like a video game or also like an escape room. I kind of felt. Oh, that's interesting. Cause yeah. they do go to a lot of different like air, like quote unquote areas. Yeah. It really reminded me of like, Oh, now they have to do a new task. Here they go. Yeah. What did you, so wait, you were worried about what you were going to grade it. What did you end up grading it now? You know what? For the overall movie, I think I'm going to give it a three. Oh, wow. Oh, my. I didn't expect that from you. Wow. Yeah. I, I just think it's like, it's not something I want to return to anytime soon, I don't think. Wow. I was actually really generous with this, which makes me kind of worried about myself. No. I gave it a four and a half. No. I, listen, I have literally in my notes between a three and a four. Yeah. Like, so I didn't know where wow. I was going to go. I think Damn. once we kind of talked about it and how kind of just uh, it's chaotic the the script in the movie is i think i just gotta i gotta come down a little bit lower than an average on this one unfortunately you know overall i think that they're like i said i think there is some shining moments and i do think that there is a glimmer of a pretty well-crafted movie in here i just think overall it just kind of comes out as a uh scrambled eggs type of thing those are salads and scrambled eggs they're calling again. That's the end of our horror and media section. Um, so, folks, uh, that ends our two movies. But we're going to take a small, little, tiny little break. And we're going to come back with our final game. And, Andrew, what's the final game? Hottie of the episode. Shantae, you stay. 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 We made it again. It's the end of episode 62, Maddie. 62 episodes. That's 60 plus 2. Yeah. <laughs> good uh, Good thinking. It's 58 plus 4. Uh, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, so we're going to play one of our original games. It's a really, literally. very, very complicated game, everybody. Are you ready for the rules? Andrew, are you ready for the rules? Yes. The rules are that Andrew and I will each... Pick someone that we think is hot. <laughs> that's, that's, that's literally all that this game is. So, Andrew, you go first. Well, I think if you, anyone has listened to my previous hotties of the episode, you could probably spot my hottie from a mile away. But it is definitely uh, Fletch from Quarantine. He doesn't last long in the movie, but when he's in it, he's pretty much perfect in my eyes. <laughs> not a surprise at all. And it will also not surprise you that my choice is also from Quarantine. It's none other than Jay Hernandez who plays Jake because he's just so cute. Yeah, that's actually like, I, I wouldn't pick that for you, but because considering he's like clean shaven and like younger in this movie. I that's why I like him. That's yeah. what it is right there. So folks, that is the oh, reason I like the reason I like Fletch is because he has a mustache and looks like a 70s porn star. That's, so. that's exactly it. And that makes sense for both of us. And like I was about to say, but I, I always jump, jump the gun too early. Folks, that is the end of episode 62 amazing to think about 62 episodes now um we are how many from 100 are we we're 38 from 100 that's not that, that was many. really fast math good good for you yeah <laughs> right that's weird i don't know how 
Um, a couple of things to say before we close out the show fully. Uh, we are a member of Dread Podcast Network, so go out there and check out all the other amazing shows on Dread Podcast Network. Just you know, just to let you know about one of them, how about fucking Mick Garris? We're on the same podcast network as Mick, so that's pretty cool. Uh, but go listen to all of the shows because they're all really amazing. You can contact us at our Fry Gay hotline. It is 872-208-3119. That's 872-208-3119. Call us, leave, a, leave us a message, say whatever the hell you want. Trust me, people, say whatever they want. And it's actually kind of amazing. We would love to hear from you. Yeah, and just a little update on the Friday hotline. Um, I have decided that we are going to wait till episode 65 to play those messages just because we need more of them. So give well, us a call. Si- 65 is 62 plus 3, so that's cool. Yeah, <laughs> so that's 872-208-3119. Leave us a message. Hey, do you want to support us monetarily? You can become a patron on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. One dollar. My goodness. You you can also go and buy merchandise if you would like to outwardly advertise for us. (laughs) Um, Thank you, uh, our our good patron, Brittany. She has a little soap and um, candle company, and she wore our mask all day while she had people at her booth so that was really oh, Brittany nice. that's wonderful thank you so much for that and you can do that by either going to Patreon or easy, even easier you can go to fragay13.com slash support now listeners I have something to ask of you and this is very important and it's one of the only things that really helps us and I haven't talked about it in a couple episodes so I've mm-hmm. given you a break from this conversation this is, this is important listen up but you need to leave a review it's, it's, yeah it's the only thing that helps us get noticed and help us you know it helps us grow beyond yep. just social media outreach and everything so if you can go over to apple podcasts or if you prefer you can go to pod chaser that's another one where our reviews sure. really matter and just leave that that five-star review and give us a couple words of encouragement you know the really hearing from listeners even on social media or messages or emails yeah that's really what keeps us going over here so that helps so much keeping the momentum going because it's just like one of those things where, you know, with everything going on in our lives, our gas tanks get a little empty. And whenever anyone contacts us or leaves us a review, it's like that little that you know that oh, little totally. dribble of gas in the gas tank so and hey you know listen people really do read those reviews trust me so if you leave one you know especially a positive one oh, that'd be great um then people will say oh maybe i will check that out that sounds interesting so right. you know you know do it take it take five minutes go do it even it's not even five. five minutes like 30 seconds yeah if it's simple so. go do it and hit that five star baby yeah hit it yeah. slam it slam <laughs> Five Slam time. that star, bitch! Yeah, I feel like uh, of the YouTubers where they're like, "Crush that subscribe know, oh my button." God. <laughs> Th- thank God we're not YouTube people. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right, well, that will do us for episode sixty-two. And as always, we encourage you to get, get slayed. slayed. <laughs>